All right, I'm going to touch on a subject that I think we probably are some pretty familiar with Lot and things that went on in Lot's life and the issues surrounding him. But I want, I want to uh, cover this again. Um, I, I've just titled this Lessons from Lot's Life or How to Lose the Kingdom. You know, you, you've seen articles or books titled, you know, with a such and such, with a subtitle. Well, the subtitle is How to Lose the Kingdom. And truly, I think that is the case with Lot. So let's, and, and there's really quite a bit in Scripture, you know, to, you know, to de- detail with Lot, but you can't just leave other things out. Like you got to go deal with Sodom as well. And there's so much on Sodom and Gomorrah uh, that it's, it really opens the topic up and it opened it up bigger than I wanted it to be. <laughs> Although I kept exploring it, I was having fun doing it, but uh, you can't, you couldn't get all that in. Um, so let's, let's just begin by turning to Genesis chapter, chapter 12, where the whole story begins. And of course, well, it begins in chapter 11, really, with... Uh, the uh, lineage of Terah and his family. It tells us in 1126 that Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, in verse 27, it says, These are the generations of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. Well, of course, Nahor probably had several children. Haran probably had several children, but they're not germane to the story. Uh, Lot is. And so we just have that little insertion in there. And Haran begat Lot. He's important to what is going to come down the line here. Haran died. That's important also. He died before his father, Terah, in the land of his nativity, in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Haran. And that's interesting. He had a son named Haran, and they left Ur of the Chaldees, to dwell in a, in a city called Haran, which, by the way, was on the most, not the most direct route to the land of Canaan, because otherwise they would have had to travel through the wilderness, but it was on the route of what's called the Fertile Crescent in the Middle East, and it's the, 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 the area that was, had several caravan routes on it, you had rivers flowing along and fertile valleys where there was farming and much cattle raising and so on. And so they traveled up in a crescent and down like this to the land of Canaan. But of course, they, they dwelt in Haran for a while. And it says in verse 32, the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Now, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, 
unto a land that I will show thee. Abram was on a mission. He had a command, and he was ordered, as it were, by the Lord to leave the land. And it's reiterated to him here in 12.1 about leaving his family and going to this land that God had promised to him. But with the death of his brother, Haran, Lot, uh, excuse me, Abram had taken up into his family to care for Lot. And you might try to put in your mind what we have discussed somewhat in the past about families in the Middle East for hundreds of years were often made up of uh, a large number of people. And each family or clan or household had a head as Abram was for his household. The New Testament frequently refers to him as the master of the house. He was the head of the household. And in this case, Abram took Lot under his wing and took the responsibilities for him. But we find that as they left, and of course, Lot left with Abram because Abram was the obedient one, leaving the land that they came and dwelt in Haran for a, an unknown length of time. But evidently, a length of time that allowed them to prosper and grow materially. Because it says in verse 4 of chapter 12, it says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Well, if Haran, his brother, was the younger, and then he had a boy named Lot, then he was probably several years younger than Abram, but the scriptures doesn't really tell us how old he was. But he was evidently an adult. He was no young boy. And the scripture really focuses, of course, on Abram here. He took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son. But it says in verse 5, And all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, Now, who are the souls they had gotten in Haran? Well, that just simply means that he had purchased them. He bought them. They were slaves. And you remember from our earlier study, the scripture uses that term soul to refer to uh, people that were members of the household. And we also looked at the distinction between one who was a servant and one who was a slave. And we saw that every slave had one thing in common with every other slave. And that was they all had an owner. Somebody owned them. And, of course, we came to the New Testament where our particular study was primarily. We didn't look at the Old Testament that much. 
But in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have this clear application that believers are the Lord's slaves. Now, our translations consistently use the word servant for the most part. But many of the more literal ones use the word slave, which is what the word actually means. And soul was used as a euphemism as uh, for the word slave. And that's what he's talking about here. They had grown in prosperity and they had much cattle and silver and gold and so on. Matter of fact, if you look over in chapter 13, um, In verse 2, after Abram had come up out of Egypt, having gone down there with his his wife and his family, and it says, and Lot with him, they, they came up out of Egypt into the south, and Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And Lot was no poor boy either, a bit of goods. Promised him. But you'll notice in verse 16 of chapter 12, it says there, and he entreated Abram. Now, this is is, um, when Abram's down in the land of Egypt. He entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men's servants or men's slaves and maid servants or female slaves and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So we just simply see that Abram was a very, very wealthy man. And as he came out of Egypt, made his settlement, urged Lot to make a choice about separating on a friendly basis. He said, you make a choice wherever you go. I'll go in the opposite direction. You go to the right. I'll go to the left. You go to the left. I'll go to the right. But he didn't say anything about leaving the land of Canaan. But Lot did, as you know in the story. And in verse 8, well, I'm actually going to back up to chapter 12, verse 7, because I want to cover these. Uh, In verse 7, After God had given his promise to Abram concerning the land of Canaan, he says, it says there, he built an altar unto the Lord. And in verse 8, after he had moved onto a mountain on the east of Bethel, it says, he there also built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Matter of fact, in every instance where he built an altar, he also called upon the name of the Lord. In each case, in chapter 13 and verse 4, it says there, after coming back from Egypt, he went back to Bethel, where he had been before, to the same altar. And it says there, Abram called on the name of the Lord. And then if you look down at verse 18, after Lot had separated himself from Abraham, or Abram, It says there, Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. And so he built another altar 
but you never read one time about Lot building an altar. Ever. And I think that's very significant. It's significant in that Abram recognized the God who had called him out of Ur of the Chaldees and who had made this promise concerning inheritance in the land of Canaan. If you look at, in chapter 13, if you look at verse 11, it says there, Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. Now, there's probably several significant things there. One is that Lot journeyed east. He was going in the wrong direction to begin with. You know, the Lord is coming from the east, but he's traveling west when he comes back. But Lot chose a different direction. And the word journeyed there means he, it, it's used of pulling up the stakes of your tent and moving on. And it says there, they separated themselves the one from the other, and Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. And the word dwelled means what you and I think it would mean. It means to settle down there, to put down your roots again, to put the stakes back down, a permanent place of dwelling. And so the choices were settled and the choices were made. And we see one remaining in the mountains in rough territory where it was difficult to live and the other lot choosing the easier life, the well-watered plain where there was a lot of grass and availability for his cattle and then ultimately we finding him we find him joining up with the city of Sodom and the city of Gomorrah and finally then in verse 12 it tells us there he pitched his tent toward Sodom pitched his tent toward Sodom That gives us an idea about what was going on in the mind and heart of the man Lot as he left Abraham, his uncle, and put his heart and mind to going where he was going to ultimately lose his life, lose everything. If you'll look at verse 18, it says, Then Abram removed his tent. Now that word removed is an interesting word because it's, uh, it's translated by, uh, in Young's literal translation, it says, Then Abraham, was, let's see, it says, And Abraham tenteth. Now, if you follow the old King James English, you'll know that tenteth was uh, present tense he was tenting so that would be like us saying we're camping well when you're camping what are you doing well probably for us we mean going to a state park or someplace and we put our tent down and that's where we stay for the week or the weekend but in this case it didn't mean that it means picking your tent up and you moved it on 
And then you picked your tent up and you moved on. And what it means in the case of Abraham here, he says, Abraham removed his tent or he tented his tent and came and dwelt in the land of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. That is to say, he moved, well, back up to the previous verse. In verse 17, he says, Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. So now we get the idea of what was going on. God told Abram, I want you to go camping all throughout the land that I've promised to you and move through the length of it and the breadth of it. I want you to get a full picture of the land. And that's exactly what Abram did. And he went about everywhere, settling down, staking his claim, as it were, to all the land that God had promised to give him. And then when he got done, he came and says, dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Now, in chapter, uh, excuse me. Trying to find my place here again. Oh, I want to go back to chapter 13, verse 10, where it says there, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Now, I have no way, of course, to know what, what the land actually looked like in that day. But you can go to any of the places in the Middle East where you have uh, arid conditions, but you have a river running through it, and down along the river, it's lush, it's green, well-watered, as it were. You know, you do the same thing with the Nile River in Egypt, and, of course, that's where the greater amount of the population lived, was along the river. That's where water sustained life. And that's where they settled. Well, he's saying here to us that the place that, that Lot chose was like the Garden of Eden. It, it was like God's garden. It was just lush and productive and fruit-bearing. But that wasn't what Abram chose. Abram chose just the opposite. He chose to remain where he was and let God be his provider. Now, having said all of that, we also want to note that God doesn't say anything about the spiritual condition here of Lot. All he does is give us the story. All he does is record for us what actually happened between Abram and Lot And he leaves the rest up for later comments in scripture. And there are plenty. Plenty, as I said, regarding Lot, but also plenty regarding Sodom. And of course, the two go together. So without being too overbearing, and I've pared it down, uh, I'm going to try to give us a few things that I hope we can pull some lessons concerning Lot's life and what occurred with him from this.
one thing you want to know is that neither man, in other words, you might ask yourself, well, was, was Lot truly a believer? Well, we know what Second Peter says, that Lot being a righteous man. But you notice also the parallel between uh, in Numbers 14, or 13 and 14, where when the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt and they wanted to go back and God wouldn't let them go back, that neither Abram nor Lot ever returned to the land of Ur. I think that's a clear indication to us also of the status of Lot before the Lord, that he was a, he was a believer. Whether he received a, some do believe that he received a call just like Abram did. Whether he did or not, I don't know. He may have, but I think he was a true believer. And he left, when he left with Abram, his uncle. When Second Peter chapter 3, or 2 rather, verses 7 and 8 tell us that Lot was a, one of the most miserable men, though, as a result of his choice, that we could be vexed, it says, day and night um, with the dealings of the men that he had to live with. Now, it's always puzzling to me in cases like that that a man like Lot, you know, didn't leave. <laughs> once he got there, once he was hooked in, once he was taken by the prosperity and the riches and, and what was there in the land of Sodom and in the plain of Jordan, he didn't leave. But he just stayed where he was. And he had to deal with wicked, lawless, unprincipled men, which is really what all that when Second Peter 7 and 8 says, when he, when he had to deal with the wicked, he means dealing with unprincipled men, lawless men. Men who could care less about God or about living in any kind of way to please him. And so there's this really, really sharp contrast. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel makes a comment there that I think is rather uh, poignant. Ezekiel chapter 16 and verses 47, 8, 9... Um, of course, in this passage, God is dealing with um, Israel and her sins and comparing her to um, an adulterous wife. And he says in verse 47 concerning, well, let's even back up to verse 46, because he says there, thine elder sister is Samaria. And she and her daughters that dwell at thy left hand, and thy younger sister that dwelleth at thy right hand, is Sodom and her daughters. So now we get a picture of what God's talking about her. One sister is Samaria, the other sister is Sodom. So in verse 47, he says, Yet hast thou not walked after their ways, nor done after their abominations, but as if that were a very little thing, Thou wast corrupted more than they in all thy ways. As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done, nor she nor her daughters, as thou hast done, 
thou and thy daughters. What's he saying to us there? That Sodom, as bad as she was, and Samaria, as bad as she was, hadn't committed the gross sins that Judah had. He says in verse 49, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Neither has Samaria committed half of thy sins. Now, I could go on reading there, but we're dealing with Sodom here. And what I'm wanting to point out here is the condition of Sodom, that she was full of pride, full of bread, and abundance of idleness or ease. In other words, Sodom felt secure with no problems. Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 9. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 9. In Isaiah 3, 9, of course, at the very beginning of Isaiah, you have the same conditions, same problems, same sins that the prophets dealt with all along the way regarding Israel. And in in verse 9, concerning Jerusalem, he says in verse 8, Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. The show of their countenance doth witness against them and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. What was the point here? The show of their countenance doth witness against them. In other words, he's saying that what's on your face, what's on your countenance, is a reflection of what's in your inner character, Sodom. And Judah, you're the same way. You have wickedly turned against the Lord And you have done so to such an extent that it's revealed right in your very face. As a matter of fact, the uh, Septuagint uses the word uh, face there. It says uh, the show of your face, the show of your countenance, the show of your inner character is revealed by what you are in your face. The Septuagint actually translates the shame of your face. So you ask yourself, well, was it any wonder then that Lot was vexed day and night with the people of Sodom because of what they were like, because of what he had to deal with day after day after day? I can't imagine... Of course, for me, there are so many things you could say say here. 
intentionally moving yourself into a situation like that. One of the thoughts that comes to me is, um, and I can't even think of the guy's name, the, the chaplain of Bourbon Street. You remember him? And you remember what, uh, yeah, Bob Harrington, yeah. And you remember what happened to him? You know, you, and, and I'm thinking back to uh, Habakkuk 2. Uh, not chapter two, but Habakkuk as well, <laughs> as, to, as the reminder you know, of, the, of what God was saying about if you take something that is clean and pure and you touch something that is not clean and pure, does it make that clean and pure? Does the clean and pure thing make that impure thing clean? Or does the impure, unclean thing make the clean thing unholy? Well, he says, of course, it makes the unclean thing dirty. It makes it unholy. You can't go in and expect that you're going to change the world by parking yourself, as it were. And I use that analogy because that's what the word dwelt, as we looked at, means. To settle yourself down permanently in such a place and expect then to have such an impact that you're going to come out untainted and unsoiled. And of course, behind that, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be a missionary then and go into places like that. That's a little bit different. Because you're not going there to settle yourself down and be a part of that community. But you're going there with a message. And there is a difference. But to go and yoke up, as Lot did, with such a community, community did not prosper him one bit. What else happened to Lot? Well, he lost his entire family, his entire family. He paid a heavy price. I'm going to move through some of these a little, a little quicker. Another thing we might note or question we might ask, did Lot have any lasting spiritual impact in the city of Sodom? Well, God burned it down. He destroyed it. And he ran Lot out. He had to force Lot to leave. He had to send angelic messengers to deliver Lot from the city so he could destroy it. And in the process, losing his family. That was, yeah, and that came later. That was after he left. That was after he left Sodom. Lot was saved, yet so as through fire. I think that's about as good of an analogy as, as we can come up with. And if you look at Genesis chapter 19 to kind of put the capstone on the whole thing, After he left, 
after he left Sodom, In chapter 19 of Genesis, in verse 30, it tells us there, after God had destroyed the cities in the plain, that God, in verse 29, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. And in verse 30, Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountain. Same word as we found back in chapter 13. He settled down in the mountain with his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zor. So he was permanently settled there, but in fear. And he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. Some have suggested that's a picture of outer darkness. I don't know if that's the case or not, but it certainly seems to fit to me. But I want to say this. One thing we can note here, too, is that back in chapter... Matter of fact, we need to turn back there. Pull your few pages back to chapter 13. And if you'll look at verse 10, you'll find that it says there, regarding Lot, it says, He lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain. After he had separated himself from Abram, In verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, lift up now thine eyes. Both men lifted up their eyes, but neither one had the same vision. Lot saw the material possessions that he could grasp and obtain for this life out there in the plain of Jordan. But Abram, it says, lifted up his eyes to the land that God said to you, I will give it. But if you turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, we find another comment that God makes regarding Abraham. And it says there that he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. You know, I like to think that when Abram lifted up his eyes and he looked out there and saw that land, he saw way far beyond the mere land that God had promised to give him. He saw there a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I also see in here that because Abram saw these things in this promise here that he saw the future hope of resurrection. And of course we find that later on in Genesis chapter 22 with his son Isaac. But we see that also here in Hebrews 11 so as we don't have to keep turning back and forth that Abraham, in the sacrifice of his son, 
accounted it that God was able to raise him up from the dead. And he had the pure and sure hope in a coming resurrection. And because of that, he had the hope, the sure hope, that he was going to receive that promise and receive the inheritance that God had promised to him. And over in Luke, and we'll finish with this one, if you'll turn back to Luke chapter 13, in Luke chapter 13, uh, it's a a similar verse to that which we find over in Matthew chapter 8, but it's also used here in connection with something we find in the Sermon on the Mount. Where he says in verse um, 27, he says, well, you're really not going to catch the whole gist of the thing until, I don't want to go back up too far, but uh, in verse 24, he says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door, And you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know not whence you are. Then shall you begin to say, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence and has taught in our streets. I mean, here's the whole point of this, this little passage right here. Is that when the time comes and you find yourself locked out, then you're going to turn around and say, but Lord, but Lord. We did this, we did that, and try to justify yourself rather than having the Lord justify you. But he's going to turn around and say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. Well, you know what? We've looked this up before, but that's exactly the same thing that that King David said. Back in Psalm chapter 6 and verse 8, he's quoting that, saying, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. He's talking about cleansing and purging out his kingdom of wickedness and evildoers. And Jesus quotes David from this psalm in the same manner. He's saying to them who are saying, Lord, Lord, we did all these things. And he's saying, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. But he says, ah, in verse 28, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. Now, it's remarkable to me that Matthew says, into the outer darkness. And Luke just cuts it off there and says, thrust out but in the context he could just as easily have said in the darkness outside removed and so we find the case with lot their lot was on a mountain but in a cave in darkness a sure, far cry from what he had enjoyed to the extent that he could enjoy it in the plain of Jordan 
and in the city of Sodom with all of its material wealth and prosperity and yet he put up with their pride, their arrogance, their fullness of bread and all these other things that the scriptures describe about the land of Sodom. And all of this stands then as a warning to you and I to sure be careful that we trod a path that leads to that bright, full day of righteousness, that path that leads us to fullness of maturity and strength in the Lord and the confidence that Abram had and Abraham had in what God had promised to give him, he will give us. And surely he will. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you've made it so abundantly clear in Scripture. Some things we look at, we wonder, we ponder about, and we're just not sure of. But all oh, the things that you've laid out before us with clarity, with absoluteness, that it takes a man and a woman with an eye of faith and a belief in the promises of God to know that you will do what you say you will do and that you will give what you promise to give. Lord, let us be true, let us be faithful, and let us be of that nature of people as the New Testament scriptures proclaim that love one another and stand as a witness then to those promises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.